Wow, that is some depressing intro music. Nothing I can do about that though, because that is the album we are listening to this month on the monthly Motorhead podcast, the only Motorhead podcast on the internet, now available on Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes. It's the album 1916, released in 1991 on the WTG Records label, which charted at 24. As depressing as this song is, it's not the opener, and a lot of the stuff on this album is very cheerful, bouncy, joyful. It's got one of my all-time favourite songs on it. And this is a long episode, because there's a lot to discuss, so I don't want to talk too long on here. Just suffice to say, if you want to skip all the depressing stuff, then you know, stop listening when we start listening to this track that you're hearing bits of right now, 1916. But, still a good album. Let's listen. Let's talk about it later on TopHatsOfKings.com, where this podcast and many other fine podcasts are hosted. Thanks and enjoy. Welcome to the Motorhead Monthly Podcast, the only Motorhead podcast on the internet. It's on Stitcher now. What's Stitcher? It's just an, another podcast another forum thing, but I don't know what people use, so I just put it on everything. And then there are people that just take the HDMR code and put it everywhere anyway. So all the bases H- are covered. I don't know what an HDMR code is. Is yeah. it like this, the HTML is what I meant? You know what I mean. Internet's, I don't know what the HTML code is. Well, I, it's probably not a real thing. I'm just making up letters. You're going about an RSS feed or something, aren't you? Yes. Yes, yeah, I am. Yeah. HMTL? HTML. There you go. For real. (laughs) That's why we don't have thousands of listeners, because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing on this computer side, man. We need to get some sponsors and shit to handle all this. But before we do that, we should uh, show them what they're sponsoring by doing another episode of everyone's favourite Motorhead podcast and talking about the album, 1916. Yeah, we're back to albums. After a nice break watching Eat the Rich... (laughs) Which I enjoyed. I'll, I'll never watch that film again. <laughs> I don't think anyone who listened to it will ever watch it in the first place. But they'll listen to this album, hopefully. Good album? Question mark. Matt's it's thinking about this. Old, it's better than the previous one. <laughs> I would say straight out of the box. Yeah, good album. Great album. I enjoy everything on this album. Well, I enjoy ninety to eighty percent of this album. It's good. It's the same lineup as last time, which is. It's good. Yeah, Wurzel <laughs> hung in there for a while, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, and Phil's still there, so it's, it's good for well, Phil. Phil to sticks be around now, doesn't he? He's Does he? Campbell he or. Oh, uh, Taylor. Taylor, <laughs> yeah. Taylor doesn't. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, no, it's it's weird how this is like. Is Phil Campbell it credited a, as Wizzo on this? Yeah. I didn't notice that. It's, it's an interesting thing on the back where there's no pictures of them it's just weird sort of skulls with hair yeah. <laughs> they look like they're those dudes from you they live oh they do a bit yeah. when i initially read about this album i thought it was this huge concept album and it's not really it's not, that no. it's not really that but it got them some critical acclaim they were nominated for a grammy didn't win this film um, unfortunately they lost out of the black album which I don't like the black album, Ooh. but some people do. Um, quite a few people do, actually. It's got generally good reviews, but for a long time I wasn't keen on this. There's there are a lot of good songs, but I still think it's the lineup finding its feet, and it's it's this weird transitional period you get between them almost finishing 
the early years lineup or the or the, the Bronze Age mm-hmm. lineup, finishing with Iron Fist, and then going through these these various iterations of the band before they sort of settle on a lineup in the mid nineties, and then sort of just keep banging on or banging out album after album after album. It's a massive step up from rock and roll, though. Yeah, they're trying the Renaissance album themselves. Yeah, they're trying new stuff on it. There's there's songs which you wouldn't have expected to hear under the Motorhead's title for any album before this. And yes, we'll get we'll get to them as we go along. There's plenty to say about this album. We should probably get into it. But first, their album cover is his hat looks a bit funny to me. But the rest of it, I'm okay with. I guess. Well, it's. We know. I know this is this is mainly about the First World War rather than the Second. We know Lemmy's interested in his war memorabilia, so it's it's Snaggletooth with. Uh, I don't know. I, I should know this because I've studied this period, but it's with one of the German infantry, sort of like yeah, ceremonial helmets with the spike on top, and then it's got the flags around the side of them with the Allies on one side and then the Axis forces okay. on the other. And just it being in the middle of no man's land, and it's it is kind of getting across that sort of like futility of it all. Like, you know, what what is it all for in the end? Because there's Absolutely not really nothing. much. Li- exactly. Say it again. Good God, y'all. Especially that conflict. Um, well, we're gonna get into the the nitty gritty history of that, but first, let's sing the blues. Drop the needle. It's track number one. We wanna sing the blues. like that ending on that stops i like that song and you know why i like that song because it's the the vibe of the classic motorhead leaving here on the road song but it's a more poetic version of it yeah it's it is one of those because i know we talked about them doing this before but it's it's almost like the you know um i'm i'm gone i'm a i'm away it is remember yeah. me i'm almost like i remember me i'm gone it's yeah, well, I'm, I've had enough. Like we've we've drifted apart and everything, and Joe, you know fuck is, I'm off. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, like, it just but, seems deeper though. Yeah, it just it, seems like a more like a well thought out version of that, a more poetic version. I guess. Yeah, the lyrics no, are that deep. I guess. The lyrics are well more. Seems to me the good times and then way too soon. Seems like faded echoes in an empty room. That's pretty good. <laughs> I like that opposite to Tractor they become the same daggers in our eyes time to say goodbye it's it's, it's, it's better songwriting than the other yeah. leaving here songs 
but like the the other leaving here songs were like good for different reasons though a, a forlorn version <laughs> you know you have to be in the right headspace to listen to that i suppose but really well written song a nice little riff i like that one i did it's good opener it's, as well it's a good jumping up and down mm. song as well mm. no but i mean with the with the way the riff is it's like I think there's more mosh-worthy stuff on this album. Yeah, yeah, but it's not its not the old where it's just sort of thrash on one string or, like, play a rock and roll riff or something like that. It's doing something a bit different, a bit almost a bit like Death Forever um, in that respect, where it's just a, a, a boss thumping opener, and that's what what opened rock and roll. Have a look, because I'm, sure it, it, I'm sure it wasn't as good as any of those two songs we just mentioned. What open rock and roll? Uh, rock and roll. Open rock and roll, obviously. Title track. I can't even remember what it goes like. Uh, oh, I've got rock and roll. It's I've got well, rock here, and babe, roll. Look at you in love with someone else. Turn down like all the others. Leave me by myself. Oh, that's how it works, I guess. And you're like all the rest. And I can handle it. That's the way it is. That's from the top of my head. So don't get me completely there. Something, something like that. But I, rock and roll is a bit of a, a good on its own. Uh Single from this was uh, "Want to Sing the Blues," yeah. So we didn't mention that um, dispute with GWR again. Oh yeah, different label now. Yeah, we're on Epic, which is a subsidiary of Sony. It's dead weird with this and "March or Die" because I don't know if the rights are still held by Sony, but these two albums have never had any sort of reissue, mm. at least on LP. Because um, for some reason this is like dead difficult to get a hold of. Um, I think I was lucky because I bought it about ten fifteen years ago from it from just a used record store before the um, before the boom in the trades. But it's it's just weird how like because I mean they, I've got to admit they are albums which are kind of forgotten now. Like yeah, they're <laughs> speaking not speaking about heads. Yeah, they're not like the. Everyone knows Ace of Spades, Bomber, and that, don't they? They don't yeah. consider this as like the top five, though they yeah. should. They should. Um, we'll get onto the other album another time <laughs> that was released on Sony, because even then it changes subsidiaries from Epic to another Sony thing. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't get <laughs> all this rights issue because <laughs> you'd think the band's music would change with label. Like you think that it'd all be the right way to do it, but you know, then they the label wants to hold on to everything they can, isn't it? Because then they can just keep making money off it for years. No, but I've got a bomber LP on GWR. Yeah, it's on bronze, and I'm pretty sure the new ones are under bronze. I don't know. Anyway, so move to Epic, and there's quite a few producers on this album as well, isn't there? Well, uh, let's have a look. So who produced this one? It's probably easier to go through. (laughs) I'll give you a quote from the In The Studio book again. Uh, Let me recall in his autobiography, which is White Line Fever. We were working on a new record, of course, being Motorhead, it couldn't possibly go off without a hitch. The first thing we did, the first thing we had to overcome was the album's original producer, Ed Statsum. Statsum? Statsum, yeah. Uh, We recorded four songs with him before... (laughs) Turn the bass. We decided (laughs) he had to go. After that, we got Pete Soley, who was great. Uh, so Pete Pete Soley was a uh, worked with in, in Living Colour and Mountain, so he, he was a regarded guy. And uh, the he was like 
one of those guys that fought hard for what he wanted on the album, which is apparently what Lemmy looked for in people. He wanted people to argue the case, and they they settled on some good stuff, I think. Yeah, so it's actually on the back of the LP for who produced this one. Right, so this is a Pete Soli one. Yes. <laughs> it's probably easier to go through and just say song by song who did it rather than trying to explain because it's all over the place. But to be fair, with is it Ed who was brought in? Ed, Ed Statsum only did No Voices in the Sky, Going to Brazil and Love Me Forever. He was the original one, wasn't yes. he? So after he was sacked off. But Pete Soli does a good job in making it all sound it flows well is what I'm mm-hmm. saying it's you know it could have been so easy to just like match it to just what he wanted but it all it all sounds and it all flows and unless you knew there was different producers on it then you you probably wouldn't notice or I don't think you would it's like a very I don't want to say commercial sound but it's it's a, a more commercial friendly sound I guess it's more experimental which I've heard a lot of this album like obviously not this song because this is just classic Motorhead, but there are like three or four tracks on there where they really try something something different which you don't get on rock and roll and you don't get on on orgasmatron mm. um they re- they really try and sort of branch out and everything which i don't know if it's a, a consequence of bringing in phil and wurzel and them having a bit more freedom now that they've settled in um but definitely there's a there's a lot there's a lot of different sounds on this it's not just a rock and roll record all the way through like rock and roll was or a straight up metal album pretty much all the way through like orgasmatron was it's really up and down there's there's classic motorhead sounds in there there's really experimental stuff there's classic like rock and roll type songs and everything it's it's a good mix and to be fair they've done a good job at making it work as that because it would have been so easy to or so e- it would have been so easy for this to become really disjointed and be very jarring between tracks, but the way <coughs> the way it's mixed and the way it's set out, it works. You know what is a good classic rock and roll song? I'm so bad, baby, I don't care. instruments end thing where it's like I don't need to be listening to this guys <laughs> so uh, why is it that I'm so bad baby I don't care has the music video and the single doesn't don't know that's is that a thing that people do is, that's, it seems weird I don't know it's, I really don't know <laughs> I haven't a clue um, I really like this song though yeah good good little banger 
Yeah, it's, I like the solo in it. Speeds up again. The solo. Like the hook. Yeah, it's it's got that classic motorhead thing where you go into the. It's a really quick riff, and then you go into the pre-chorus, and you just you just let the chords ring out, mm-hmm. and then the chorus is just so simple, where it's like just everything cuts out. I'm so bad, baby. I don't care. Start again, <laughs> and just go round and round and round. Knowing how good this song is, he's just chucking words together, and they, and they all just make sense, and they create the image. Kiss the whip, eat the gun. Tell me, it, tell me it ain't fair. Midnight victim, hit and run. I'm so bad, baby. I don't care. It is. That's it just is. garbage, but it's 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 sensible garbage. And do you know what? <laughs> he seems to be recycling as well because he references three or four either old albums or songs in this as well. I think Overkill's mentioned. Um, what else? We've got Iron Fist somewhere in there. It's such a. It's one of the weirdest starts to a song as well. I make love to Mountain Lions. And by the way, the music video for this is just like four like rocket chicks just writhing on a on a mesh on a mesh fence. It's so stupid, but with the interlaced with live scenes. But that's just what you have to do in videos in the eighties. Even though this is the nineties, we're in now. We should have known better. Yeah, this is. It took us a while to know better. It's a weird period for rock and metal. This because it's. It's the changing over, isn't it? Yeah, it's this, it's guy. just before like grunge comes in, so you still got almost the eighties hangover, and bands still. So I mean, well, this is where they were getting like the most money behind them, really, isn't it? This mm. is where they were starting to make music videos and bigger tours and things. I mean, we'll show it. I can't wait to watch it because I fucking love the video off the next record. It's amazing. <laughs> Because it's so jarring that it doesn't work, but it's so nineties. But this is kind of like the the real like hangover from the eighties before sort of grunge yeah. comes in and everyone's like, oh, you know, fuck that, fuck all this like like rock and roll and drugs and girls and stuff. I like, am depressed and Motorhead stay true to their sounds. You know, they always put some experimental stuff on there, but it's the same Motorhead quality stuff you're getting. Uh, and on that topic, I'm so bad. Bionica is a great live song. Yes, I know. <laughs> That that fits the mood for every occasion. I think that song better than the next one. Anyway, do you know what? I think the first side of this album is really good. It's up and down in the second, but it's looking at the first side, it's hard to pick fault in it, or at least with the first three songs. Well, speaking of the first three songs, God, I'm great at segues. <laughs> no voices in the sky. What a strange concept for a rock and roll song. I don't dislike that song. I just think it's an album track. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't go like away to listen to it singly. I like it. It's like it's it's good just straight off 
straight off the bat. Like it's it's good upon listening. It's just that it's quick. It's to the point and everything. But you actually look at the lyric sheet and it's it's quite profound in some sense. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say otherwise, but it's too profound. Super profound. <laughs> yeah, just covering the same areas he he covers all the time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's you don't really think about no voices in the sky. It's you don't you don't sort of make those conversations and then you start reading the lyrics and it's like, oh shit, yeah. I mean, the irony of it coming from the son of a minister. Yeah. The ones who dedicate the flags to make you brave, they also consecrate the headstones on your grave. That's pretty fucking cool. Outside of Bad Religion, I think uh, Mohead had like the biggest vocabulary in those songs. Yeah, yeah. That Like, this know, is one... In, in the rock, metal, punk scene, obviously. It's a most deaf and all that shit. This seems to be like the chorus and that verse seems to be one of the ones that seems to fit like the the whole concept. Well, I know it's not a concept album, but it almost seems to sort of, um, you know, it brings about the the spirit of kind of what he's trying to say on nineteen sixteen. Um, but I I love that that verse is brilliant. The one you just read out and you know eye for an eye, two for a two. If you all know what I mean, it's like because the, the conflict's pretty much eye for an eye. Everything, everyone's stuck in the middle. What's the use of a cry for help if no one hears you scream? It, it, it is saying a lot more than it, <coughs> than it makes out, and it is just in the middle of like a rock and, just a, a heavy rock and roll song. It's not, it's not trying to sort of set the mood by being profound or being, you know, trying to be epic or mm-hmm. like moody or anything. It's just a rock and roll song trying to say a bit more than you might sort of or a bit more than you might sort of hear on first listen yeah <laughs> but I, I'd say what I like most about it is that if it comes before track number four going to Brazil What what does he say at the end of that? I don't know. Not, it's it's not, not on the lyrics sheet. It's not on the lyrics of the internet either. But you know, having looking at the lyrics written down for the first time, I had no idea that I would, that that lyric is uh, Steve Clem Hobbsy John Crazy Dylan Pappy. I don't know what I thought that was, but I did, definitely didn't think it was a list of names. But I had to travel second class. They that fucking happy has always been a favourite little Jones of mine as well. It's it's a nice fun song that I don't see why you, why you got beef with going to Brazil. I, I just prefer Stone Deaf in the USA. 
Which is like a, st- it's a not as good similar as similar V. It's not as good as this, man. It's the same theme, I guess, but this is just it's this has got more of the Chuck Berry Chuck Berry vibe, which Lemmy was very much into putting into these albums. I think that's it. It's too jarring. I mean, you you said it goes well with the previous song. I think so. But lyrically, it doesn't no, go. No, no, not lyrically, <laughs> but it, it's like that laugh. That one slows down with this heavy concept of God and shit. And then this next one is like, "Hey, we're going to Brazil, lads! <laughs> jumping on the plane. This is the stuff that you want to hear about." It's a good tour song. Yeah. God, this album is all over the place, isn't it? Because it's Nightmare the Dream Times after this as well. So what is it about this song? This song? Going to Brazil? What's going to Brazil? Is there? Is there a story? Yeah, it's about... Well, it's the producer, isn't it? Tell me. Well, this this. is what is fired over. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's specifically this song (laughs) where... It's in White Line Fever where apparently they've recorded for the day and they've done the thing and they've gone home and I think, um, what's the producer is it? It's Ed, Ed on yeah. this track, isn't it? Ed had stayed behind to mix the track and they got in the next day and they were playing it back and they were like, hold on, what the fuck's that? And he turned a load of the track down there's all sorts of tambourines and trombones and shit on there. They were like, right, that's it. <laughs> I don't know if it's trombones, but there's all sorts of shit that shouldn't be on there. I mean, the piano was like... Fucking flute tracks. Fair enough, but there was... There was all sorts of stuff that they weren't happy with. Mainly tambourines and probably... <laughs> <laughs> tambourines aren't very rock and roll. Yeah, I think it was... Obviously, you've got the... The old timey piano. I think it was alongside that. Well, old timey piano's rock and roll, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, old timey piano. Chuck Berry, Richard Hell stuff. But again, tambourines. Maybe not. No, definitely not. Uh, he was he was justified in his firing. I think the. I hope he never <laughs> worked again. I bet he did. Have a look what else he did. He probably went on to. Well, I, I can do that during Nightmare of the Dream Time because it's so fucking long. It's yeah. like the longest song on the album. This is going to be interesting to talk about. Oh, it's not the longest song on the album, you know. Let's uh, let's see how long it feels. Doom or Black uh, it, it, that's like some no, of that probably stuff like that out that moody time. fucking stuff that those hardcore goth metalheads are into it, it ain't my scene at all man that is not my bag that song I, I like it but I it bugs me for years that I wish it had built to something and it just doesn't if it was 
a minute and a half intro, and then it properly kicks in with the drums. Yeah, and had cool. like and had like a whole other section, but the drums are just like dum dum dum, and they almost sound electronic. I don't even know if Phil plays on them. There are some really cool sounding bits, like all mine, all mine, nightmare, the dream time. It's it just works, and like some of the lyrics, like just it's nonsense, but it works. I can see that being the kind of thing that some people are into. Soft flesh and razor blades, Golgotha, Ace's face. That's yes. Some someone who's got like uh, lots of skulls in their living room, a black cat, and you know pentagram pendants is going to be digging this, and good for them. Yeah, I think I think this me. might be the song that got them. This and there's one other song which I think might have got them the Grammy nomination. Um, I do like it, but I wish it would build to something. It shouldn't be as long as it is, and it really needs to sort of build something. Well, if, you know, if they if they came into the studio with the 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 idea being like we're gonna make some like at least three songs on this album that are gonna be totally weird, totally different, totally out there. He's achieved that, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this isn't new territory. I mean, Orgasmatron was a bit almost like this, like a slow. Yeah, but Orgasmatron still had like the the, the metal jibe to it. It didn't did, it, it did, because that was pretty much the same riff over and over again, like this is. But that it started, it it just started within the first the first two two seconds, like the first run through of the riff, and then straight in. Whereas this kind of feels like it's going somewhere. It never, never really gets there. Um, I just don't see what the point of it is. Like, when, you'd never do this live, would you? You'd, I mean, you'd put it on an on an album track for like a horror movie or some shit. Fair but, enough, uh, like artistic license. I mean, what are we up to nine at the minute? So fair enough. They, fine. it is, it is useful. That, well, it is. You can't do this stuff in the rehearsal space. So it's interesting to see it how they've done it in the studio and because. Mm. I mean, when they're only spending two weeks recording, and like now they've been given a bit more time. It's like, right, let let's see what other avenues the actual studio give us, rather than just playing a song as live. And this is this is what they've come up with, and it is it is a cool sounding song. It's just it just doesn't go anywhere. It definitely doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere. I've done a bit of reading there. Apparently, the backwards message. Oh yeah. Um, people are speculating it's a message to the PMRC, which is the Parents Music Resource Oh, Center. yes, yeah. Because some of them are unintelligible. It's like, now tell me about your miserable little lives. I do not subscribe to your superstitious, narrow-minded fights of paranoia. I am people like me will always prevail. You will never stifle our free speech in any country in the world because we will fight forever in a single stroke, you poor, stupid, running dogs. <laughs> Apparently there's well, more to it, yeah. but it's that uh, people are still like transcribing. It. When when asked about it, Lemmy said, uh, uh, "Lemmy told his band's websites the song was all about him saying you bastards are never gonna tell me what I can fucking sing about," which is another way of saying that. But not really. This would have been around the time of uh, the Judas Priest thing when they were suing them for if you play the music backwards it says do it yeah this and two kids kill themselves and that like how stupid that sounds now that went on for months it, it, it wasn't an in is... and out thing they, they they were very certain that Judas Priest wanted these fans to kill themselves I mean it's fucking obviously middle America so no one so. no one wants to be in that situation at all to, to find and you're looking for answers for what how could this have happened but 
as with all things like this, it's never it's never black and white. There's a multitude of factors, and you know it might give some people solace to say it was point the finger of blame. That was the reason. That was solely to blame mm-hmm. for this, and they're trying to justify what happened. And it's like obviously, obviously, the song won't have been. Surely, the song wouldn't have been the sole reason for it. No, there'll have been. Other they, they did have a history of. Like, I, ju- I literally just watched the documentary on this two days ago. So that's that's not what we want to talk about. That we want We're to not. talk about the album. <laughs> And unfortunately, we have to talk about the next song, which is five minutes and twenty-eight seconds. Jesus, Lammy, what are you thinking? Uh, Love me forever. some mope rock that right there man that's like goth rock but without with the heavier tone it's like a rock opera if, if that was a song in a rock opera it would be fine if that was you know uh, meatloaf singing it at some point one of those like cartoon space op- rock operas they used to make you know like rock and roll and shit but on this album I have no time for that, that that's not it's, five minutes of my totally life you're different. gonna hear. different style isn't it yeah. this, is, this is one of the the experimental songs I put this with Nightmare of the Dream Time and uh, 1916. Fair enough, it's trying something different, but it's just... But at the time when they were making it, someone in the room should have realised this is this is too long. There's nothing happening in it. I haven't even listened to this. I've been out of the room for the last five minutes. <laughs> um, there's, there's honestly nothing else to say about it. It's just, it's mopey. It's gothy. It's really downbeat in every sense of the word. Tone, the music, the lyrics, everything changes. It all stays the same. Everyone guilty, no one to blame. Everyone dies to break somebody's <laughs> heart. Fucking hell! <laughs> oh my last love! Oh my lost love, come back to me is the last part of that as well. Could you imagine if you bought this and you put side two on <laughs> by accident first and be like, "What the fuck"? <laughs> If you're into the cure or something like you know Joy Division or some shit, then you'd be in for a good time. But Look, I, I, fair enough because he's he's trying something new, and do you know what? So on some multi albums it works. Yeah, but, it doesn't for this. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're allowed one an album. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm not going to crucify on this for one. it. <laughs> 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 oh, let's pick up the tempo, man. Let's. But, uh... but between that and. 
Nightmare the Dream Time. If you were listening to this on CD as well, that's like eight minutes in Ooh. the middle of the album. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like, ugh. Eight minutes no one fucking wants to have. Yeah, uh, no, let's let's all feel better with Angel City. Track number seven. The, one of the only two songs on the album that has just plenty of the credit for Summer X single. listening to that I would have said there's nothing wrong with it but after listening to it while looking at words I'm not as prepared to fight for the cause of that song as I once was I this this album's really grouped into you can group the songs into three categories there's the straight up motorhead fast mm-hmm. like in your face songs there's the one or two rock and roll songs and then there's a few experimental songs <laughs> For me, the rock and roll songs don't work. <laughs> like this and going to Brazil. Do. But, no. like, this is, like... Like, I don't like going to Brazil. But I see why it's, like... Yeah, yeah. This is on a whole other level. <laughs> uh, the thing I do like about this song is... Uh, let me say that he was laughing to himself while he was writing it. So he's had fun doing it. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's very much just chucking together what's been in his mind. There's... There's no level of depth that you need to analyse there. It's just like the guy loves living in LA. He wants to go go back there and party and call people up on his bat phone. Right, so you read this as... A oh, lyrics genius. The lyric is uh, talking to the devil on the bath phone all of the time. The bath phone. The bath phone. The bath phone. Which is, I'm guessing, a phone that you would have in your bathroom because you're that rich. Well, the lyric well, sheet. The lyric sheet says bat phone, which as is also Batman. strange. <laughs> Since Batman I doesn't think live it was in LA. Backbone, and like that doesn't make any sense either. But I didn't question it. No, because Batman doesn't live in LA. <laughs> oh man, you know you think you know something, and then years later it turns out you don't. I want to get the crabs in my elegant rags. <laughs> Fucking hell! So you can see why he was having a laugh doing this one anyway, can't you? Oh, the the outro is ridiculous. It's two yeah, minutes. The outro is way too long. How long's the song? <laughs> Three minutes, 57 seconds. Fucking that. Two minutes is the outro with the trumpets coming over the top. You do not like oh, th- This lost me. I mean, like, you, I mean, they had the... The piano can work sometimes, and it's like comes into going Brazil, into Brazil, and it's like, oh, it's fine enough to hear that. Once you hear those trumpets, <laughs> synthesised trumpet. Yeah, on the outro as well. Oh, like, you just don't need that shit. Like. It just goes on and on and on. Like, I don't care how good the solo is. The... the Season two minutes. Well, I'm I'm happy that he was happy, but I don't need this song in my life. <laughs> just, Should we just go to make my day? See that cheers us up. Four minutes, make my day.
I mean, I'm a sucker for a good chorus. It's a good chorus. Shine a light on me. Come on, babe, set me free. Don't go away, please, please stay. Come over, make my day. Roll over, make my day. That's it's the rest of the song I'm not on board with. I really. like it. It's not terrible. Glowing reviews. What do you like about it? I think I've we kind of touched on this before. I like it because it sounds like the Robo album. Hmm. Like a lot of the the ones I label sort of proper hard fast motorhead songs like this. Uh, one sing the blues. I'm so bad, baby. I don't care. They they all could almost be on the Robo album. They almost yeah. all could be on another perfect day, and they like quite fast. There's quite a lot going on in the riff as well. It's not just it's not just like a straight riff with with a few bits and there's it's quite complicated and quite up and down and that's what I like about it. It's okay. it's hard fast but it's still it's still got that air of complexity to it to make it a bit different from the other albums and like I quite like this one. That's that's where you and I differ because you're like the more mathematically minded and I'm more like the give it to me simple, give it to me straight. Which is part of the beef I have with this song is like it's got the premise of it's just going to be one of those good cock rock numbers but it, it gets twiddly twiddly down there and there's like chorus break long break chorus it, it's it's not it's not a favourite is all I'm saying it's it's a good song it's not a favourite I like the I like the stop start things because it does I'm so bad as well it it does it on there as well but there's a lot of stop start things in there and it's when it gets to, unlike Angel City it gets to the end where you've got the solo and that just goes on, but that works. I'm interested in that. I'm invested. And it's there's some clever stuff in there. Like you're you're so bad, honey. You're so tough. Skin so smooth, but your tongue so to- so rough. Skin so smooth, but your tongue so rough. That's that's clever, funny, and like rhymes. a cat. Exactly. Yeah. And the the cat female, the cat woman metaphor has been fully played out for us. Okay, let's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You want to say about that? I mean, because the next song is the song I want to talk about at a great length and great depth. I'm kind of relying on you to talk about. Oh, the next don't song. worry about it. <laughs> I said I wouldn't go to war and die for anything else on this album, but I'd go to war and die for this one song. What do they want? Fuck yeah, dude! Fuck yeah! What an absolute tune. What a banger. What a, a 10 out of 10, five-star song. The thing about this song, Matt, is this was written as an ode to the Ramones. And and Joey Ramone said, like, this, like the it's like having Lennon write a song about you. Like, that's how much regard they had for each other. They were both, like... They were both similar Ramones and Mothead in that they were precursors to what became the huge things but they, they were, were coming out about the same time but they were just gigging around the, they were kind of doing their own thing before the thing happened yes and they, I, you can't imagine how annoying it must have been for them to be like 
playing in, in England and in New York respectively, well, in America respectively, playing like s- small size venues to and then to go across the world. The Ramones were mobbed whenever they played in South America because like street kids just like saw them, like they sort of thought they lived the characters that they were. And the song itself encapsulates everything that the Ramones were about and uh, the vibe that they put out there. The it, it's uh it it. it if you didn't know anything about the Ramones, you could play this song and you get the the picture of what they were, and they'd be like, "Yeah, that's us." Where like the street toughs, where the the guys just hanging out on the street corners looking for trouble, we're playing that, playing anywhere will take us, misfits in the twilight zone. How many songs have been written about bands that the bands have heard and said, "Oh, we'll record that, we'll put it on our album as well." I know it's it's one of those where it's distinctly got Motorhead style, but. It is a Ramones song. It almost. sounds like such a Ramones song. That's because I've heard it so many times. Obviously, when the Ramones play it, they play it faster. It says in the studio book, actually, that when they originally wrote this, it was a slow number. But then they came like, why don't we just play it like the Ramones would play it? Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it works. I don't see why you wouldn't. This this would be like, oh, it's it's so sad and beautiful at the same time. Like, because this would, I don't Didi was still around at this when this came out, I reckon, but Didi was like the first Ramones to die. So they they were playing this as like a tribute to him when it when that happened and that became like a staple of the set. But then like then Joey went, rest his bones, and then Joey like every time they came around and there another Ramon had died, so they play, kept playing this. When they when it's big recorded by the Ramones, it's recorded by CJ Ramon, who's in the band there, he's like the young kid who played replaced Didi, he plays much faster. And encapsulates like the, gets the new generation into it, which is again what the Ramones are about. They were more like a corporation that would play punk rock as well. There's, we could do a whole conversation about that, but man, what it, it uh, everything I love everything about this song. It just makes me feel like I was like I'm watching a documentary about the Ramones. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a great song on its own merit as it well. It should open this side. It really should. Like yeah. I think. It kind of works in between like my day and shut you down, but this should this should open the size. It's it's strong enough to do it. It is one, two, three, four, and then straight. I, I love a good fucking counting like that, man. I I love. I kiss hasn't come across, dear listeners. I love the goddamn Ramon so much. It it really just is in it. What is it? Two and a half minutes, and mm-hmm. it's just in does its thing and then goes. It's. And it, it, it's poignant in its own rights as well, man. You know, good music saves the soul. Keep it up, rock and roll. Good music saves the soul. The Ramones yeah, weren't like Ramones Motorhead in that, like, like, we are Motorhead, we play rock and roll, and, like, don't ever forget us. And uh, everybody born for something, everybody dies for something. The Ramones were more like, hey, we're the Ramones. We're going to play some songs. Take a DD. One, two, three, four. And then they just fucking power on through the set, and then they leave. Which is, you've got to watch, like, the, the last Ramones live show when you got Lemmy on stage to play this with them and like they finish and it's like thank you good night and they just leave incredible but speaking of that uh when they do play this on albums and so when they remounted live versions of this they they change their lyrics um here marky kicks some ass <laughs> to mark takes it up the ass as they were in fighting bunch but i think that was more of a good natured jibe because marky would have been in the band at the time CJ Ramon is a good guy. I saw him play in the Magnet like two years ago. Think about, because I meant to ask you this, what do you think about this? Because I know this is all on TMZ and everything and it's just been kind of blown out of proportion, but there's a panel with Rollins, I think it's Dizzy from GNR. Rollins, I expect Rollins to to have behaved more 
politely in that situation. He should have stopped there. He should have done something. I love Rollins' face where he's like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> he starts recording on his phone. Like a fucking fight star. But yeah, Phil fucking Linnitz and... Uh, Phil Linnitz, John Linnitz. Oh, sorry, yeah. John John Linnitz. Lydon. What's his name? John Lydon. John Lydon. Just call him Johnny Rotten. Johnny Rotten and, and Marky Ramon got in a, an, an argument and... Marky Ramon had every right to be offended and annoyed by that because the fucking Sex Pistols didn't do shit. I know you're a Johnny Rotten guy, but you're a pill guy, though, aren't you? I'm a public image guy. Yeah. I mean, right, I do. Well, one goddamn album with we had like different session players playing on it. Fuck, oh, fuck the Sex right. Pistols. Looking back, I do like that first Sex Pistols album, but I hate what happened to that band. They were a gimmick. The whole thing was literally yeah. how we can piss people off. The Ramones weren't a gimmick. They were a well-organised machine that also knew that they had to market themselves in a particular way. The Sex Pistols is... It's almost like it's a group of people who are kind of behind it but just want to be in a band and then someone being the puppet master... I, I won't call him Puppet Master, I won't give him that credit, but <laughs> I really like Mark He saw McLaren. the money. But, no, Margaret McLaren was all about, like, if you... You see, like, where they played the, the boat gig on the Thames, where they all get arrested, yeah, and all of them are like, it's a fair cough, and then there's Malcolm McLaren going, Anarchy! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you own a fashion... St- <laughs> you just own some pretentious fashion shop in London. No, no man. I mean, the, in the Ramones documentary, End of the Century, they 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 ask Johnny about this, and he's like, I I, uh, I never worried about any of the bands coming out of the UK apart from the Clash, because like they were a, an actual group of musicians making great songs. Everyone else sucked at that time. I think that the Sex Pistols versus Ramones debate is maybe one for another podcast. We'll, uh, we won't go too much into it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about this off air because we need to go into the next. There's songs. people on both sides of the fence over it. I think both bands deserve their place in history. I disagree with that completely. Fair anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone should ever build a monument to Johnny Fucking Rotten. No, it's the next song on this album. <laughs> is uh, Shoot You Down, track 10. Shoot You Down. No, Shoot You Down. <laughs> I can't follow R.A.M.O.N.E.S. man uh, to me because we said this before it's the kind of guy I am when I get an album I find the songs that I like and they're the ones that I play to death I can't listen to a full album usually I started doing it more now funnily enough when I do my when I do my yoga because it's like 40 minutes of doing the same thing over and over again you can just play something in the background but I don't think I'd listen to this when I was doing my yoga 
I think it's a, I think it's a good song. It's a good Motorhead song. It's it's, a, it's another leaving you leaving town. Yeah, it's, it's the it's grouped in in the bunch of songs that I would describe as archetype as not well not archetypal, but they they're mo- they're in they're through and through Motorhead songs. Mm. On this, it, it's it's got those like it's not just a, a simple straightforward riff as well. It's fast. Tell you, baby, um, I'm what I'm gonna do. I'm leaving this town and I'm leaving you too. I like that. That's a nice couplet. It's a good. It's one of those songs which is quite good before like the last big epic like boss song in the album. It's like a quick like few minute thing. Like mm-hmm. wrong sort of builds you off it, and then it's like just another really quick, fast, punchy in your face song. That's like one and done in a few minutes, and then like you're expecting this big. Epic closer. You've got to put something more lighthearted in there, don't you? Like, because 1916 is just going to bum you out, essentially. Can, can they we... shouldn't close the album. Uh, where would you put it, though? That's the thing. Close the first side with it. Yeah, that's know. a good idea, because then if you were too depressed, you could just go, oh, I'll turn that over later. Or you're like, oh, this this stuff will pick me up. What do you think the, the, the mood was when Lemmy came into the studio with, I want to write this song about the Battle of the Somme, is it? I think it is about that. Think it, but in general, it's just a song just about the about the first world. What, do you know what? We'll talk about it after we've listened to it. Okay. It's one of... I, it, I'm not saying it's like, yeah, that's an amazing song. It's a good album track. It's a good album track to transition between, like, big epic tracks. But the problem is it kind of doesn't <laughs> because of the last song on the album. Which, to be honest, this is... I'm pretty sure that this is what got them the Grammy nomination. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, what what do the Grammys know about metal? They never did. They they, they still don't. So they saw something like this. Is like, oh look, it's not just uh, denim and leather. It's a serious songwriting. It it shouldn't have had to have come that far to be nominated for because he's a, he's a masterclass songwriter. He doesn't need to write songs about wars to be taken seriously. Well, he's been writing songs about wars. It's just, you know, he writes the same songs, just slowed down. And now all of a sudden it's acceptable by the mainstream. Fuck the mainstream. I think we should listen to it and then yeah. talk about it. Okay, let's uh, jam the last track on. <laughs> God, what a downer. <laughs> you think there's something to be said for us, like hearing this stuff as as younger people and it becoming ingrained in us in our uh, political views and such. 
Because like you're listening to the other anti-war stuff where it's like the fast pace and it's just like it's not putting a human face on it like this is, is it? That's the thing. There's really been a change in the in how. Right, I think the the big thing is how like people and especially the enemy or the enemy uh, portrays yes in in modern representations of warfare because it's easier if your enemy's faceless and nameless like mm-hmm. it's easier to dehumanize them and to murder them I read like the Iliad and what's the Iliad the Iliad is the Trojan War okay so it's like Homer's great epic about the Trojan the War the lad with the horses and that yeah yeah the lad with the Greek horse and they put it in the they all hide and, yeah, and, that, and the message is beware of uh, Greeks bearing gifts yeah or beware of Trojans, the Smegheads. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just trying to so the mood. <laughs> if you read, if you read the Iliad, it will say, and then Achilles kills, you know, Yanus, son, son of of Bobus. <laughs> honestly, it will give like a, re- and then like he he cut this guy's head off. Who was. You know, husbands to Jane and father right, to, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Mary. Like in the Bible. Joseph. Honestly, it's it's really like it will give everyone who's killed like a bit of a backstory yeah. and and everything. Whereas in modern warfare, you barely even see the enemy's face. It's like they're dehumanized that much. They can only be shown as like again this black and white issue. They can only be shown as like the most evil, despicable mm-hmm. people. But with Obviously, with the First World War, the way it came about and everything, like not to simplify the conflict, but it it almost just turned into a huge dick swinging contest between the two various sides yeah, about yeah, who it often does. Well, that's because it shouldn't have got to this stage. Like the the murder of Duke Ferdinand shouldn't have led to deaths of millions. It really shouldn't. It should have been sorted out diplomatically like a long time before all this kicked off and and this was what it's about it's telling it from from that side of the the people on the ground who were directly affected by it who've been sent there and it's you know almost been you know, we were we were fighting what was it we're fighting the home we were food for the gun is it like literally just being sent out there to be to be mown down i mean you say it's about the song which was one of the one of the things that's remembered from the orders, like, you know, we'll but we bombarded the German or the the Axis line for I can't remember how many hours it was, it might have been seventy two hours where that, that line was bombarded with art- artillery fire and the Allied forces were told to you don't have to run to the enemy lines, you know, you could just walk. You know, you walk, there'll be time there. And there wasn't it's like the bombardment stops the forces return to the machine gun's nest and just mow everyone down it's such a fucking waste over such a pointless thing and this is why Lemmy wanted to write a song about it I I guess we've got to look at it in terms of the time he grew up in as well which would be like you know British stiff upper listeners like and the Jerry's were the bad guys and you know, like there was a very much simplified version of like, oh, we're right because we're British and we've got God and all that, and everyone else is just wrong. It's easy to look at that. that that's how he, it's. That's what made. 
if people kept thinking like that, we'd been in a much worse state than we are now, even though we're in a pretty bad state. So it's a good thing people like Lemmy are out there th- free thinking and encouraging us as young people to do the same. I don't think we'd be in that because even when when we were growing up, like a lot of projections of the of the First World War, I think, are dictated by the Second. I really think that. Okay. That projects like I mean we're getting in we're getting off yes, topic here, but let's... um But like going to this thing with that conflict, it's like there is there's no black and white. Well whichever side you're on, whether you see whichever side is in the right or wrong, should it really have resulted in in the deaths of millions on some on a load of fields between Belgium and France and Germany, it's No. <laughs> so, a uh, little quote from the book. Uh, he revealed in White Life Fever, I wrote the words before I wrote the music. It's about the Battle of the Somme, WW1. Uh, when when it happened, parentheses the track, I was in England watching a programme about World War One, and I had a brainstorm when they got to the Battle of the Somme. Lemmy wasn't daunted by using the historical process and other outside influences in his lyrics. Lyrics and poetry are a lot alike, he told the band's website. Quite a bit of my lyrics could stand out as their own poetry, especially songs like 1961, stuff like that. And it totally does. You know, that's just like a long-form poem there. It is. I mean, like, I've studied First World War poetry a lot. I don't... First World War poetry's got, like, an air about it. It's very sombre. It's very... It's, It's almost... It wants to be stiff upper lip, but you can see, like, underneath. Yeah. You've almost got that layer there where there is the stiff upper lip, but behind it all, it's like, What are we just, doing here? <laughs> yes. And it does feel like that. I mean... Though it wasn't I, my fault and I wasn't to blame the day not half author and 10,000 slain. Jesus fuck, man, that is... I know. I, to be honest, with, with some parts of this, I don't like the couplets. Because I think it almost puts too much... Because instantly with a rhyming couplet, your association goes to things like limericks and, and mm-hmm. things like that. It's sort of quite jokey things, isn't it? He just wanted to do something serious, I guess, to show he had more strings to his bow. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, at least um, he did it in like doing an album as opposed to leaving to do a side project and getting distracted by that, so... Yeah, I mean, we've seen... I mean, we'll see on the next album as well where he's not above writing songs for other people. Um, I, but I think this is just something he he saw and wanted to, to do and to highlight. And and good on him for doing it. Right, so, uh, best song from the album. Oh, this is a difficult one. The problem... <sighs> the answer is R-A-M-O-N-S Ramones <laughs> for many reasons. <laughs> Followed closely by going to Brazil, and then maybe I'm so bad, maybe I don't care. I prefer I'm so bad. Um, I think my, as I was saying earlier, like when I first heard this album, like I don't particular, I don't think there's a lot of standout tracks on it. Like there's a lot of ones that I consider out and out motorhead songs. So it's one sing the blues, I'm so bad, no voices in the sky. Uh. Make My Day, Shut You Down, and Ramones. Apart from Ramones, I don't think there's any of those that stick out as being like, fucking yes, put that song on. 
And I think that's the problem with this album. It's one of those... It's not a par Motorhead album because there's a lot of experimental stuff that takes True. it above that. But in terms of the out-and-out Motorhead songs on, it's it's pretty much par, unfortunately. Like As much as I like some of these songs, they don't really do anything new. And you know, it's one of those albums like we see of a lot of bands now. Two albums down the line, not many of these songs will be in the set. Yeah, it's the 90s and it? it's... The scene, what what's gonna be the motorhead going forward as opposed to what the motorhead was. So that's the album. Uh, I think we got to some very interesting stuff towards the end. There. I hope everybody is still listening and not too depressed. And you know, go cheer yourself up, watch some kitten videos on YouTube or something if you are. We join us next time on the Motorhead Podcast, the monthly Motorhead Podcast, Motorhead Monthly, the only Motorhead Podcast. Thanks. And catchphrase. And scene. <laughs> I thought you were going to come up with a catchphrase.